Hi, this is Anita DeFonte from Coast of Maine Organic Products, and you're listening to your Midwest Garden Podcast. This is season two, episode 10 of your Midwest Garden podcast. This is Michael Rourke, the garden guy. And with me today is Scott Sandstrom, who claims he doesn't know much of anything about gardening. I'm with you every day. Well, you claim. Well, every day we record. You know, people are going to question. <laughs> Not much to question. Okay. So, Mike, before we get to our guest, the family, we had a group, big group chat going. Oh, dear. And one of her brother's girlfriends like me, is from the state of Pennsylvania originally. So somehow this text got going about, hey, onion snow. Onion what? Snow. That's it. That's the type of a snowfall late in spring. Let's let me get to my oh, fun part. All right, all right. All right. But yes. <laughs> and that's what everybody's reaction was at the beginning. It's like, what? What's onion snow? And I'm like, oh, onion snow. Pop quiz time. Oh, I haven't done a pop quiz. Well, this is this isn't a pop one. quiz. I'm, you were throwing something my direction. I was, tr- I was, a little I was trying to curveball you. But it, it, you know, the change up didn't really affect me too much. This ain't a grand slam. It may be a, you know, I'm on first base. Basically, an onion snow is the last snow of the season when you can plant onions and potatoes safely. And when the ground is thawed enough. Close. You're close. Okay, go ahead. Is that your final No, answer? it's not the final. Okay. But basically what it does is the onion snow basically hardens and it helps to stimulate the plant too. There you go. That's See, that's more like it. So the onion snow, according to the Pennsylvania Farmers Almanac, <laughs> that one didn't get ripped up, is a regional term talking oh. about the final snowfall of the spring, but it already has your onions planted. Therefore, it's the onion snow. That and that refers not just to onions, but I think it's it's a it's a I, I don't want to call it territorial, but it's a cultural thing. When yeah, the yeah. onions start to pop up out of the ground, it doesn't do any damage to them. You've already got them in; it hardens them. But you have a window of opportunity to put potatoes, onions into the ground when the soil is soft enough. The onion snow is there for two reasons: is because we can't control it, but the, the mother nature brought it in. It's going to harden the plant. It's going to allow the plant to, to stimulate when we start warming up and start really kicking derriere after the fact. So I'm done. I'm finished with my, my Pennsylvania onion snow thing. I, it, I tried to get you. I tried to get you, but you were awfully, awfully close. I, I, was, I was close enough to get on first base. It wasn't, well, a, yeah. it wasn't a double. It wasn't a home run. No, no. It might have been on a bunt or hit by a foul ball, but I still got the first base. <laughs> That's right. All right. And the ump called you safe. Yes. So Mike came over today. I was outside mowing before we hit this, and he noticed that damn boxwood that I used to talk about in season one. That thing that I thought I killed is still going, it, and, and I'm really going to take it out this year because I have some new fangled. I want to do some cannas really, along that line. He's bonded with it. No, I'm doing some cannas. You're going to do line. something in the ground. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've bonded with that thing. It's a survivor. No, you no. tried killing it, and it's not going. <laughs> You really did. <laughs> I know. Mike, hey, what are we talking about today? Uh, old-time gardening. And old-time what I'm talking, gardening? Old-time gardening. Well, yeah. Now, 
I, you know, I, I purchased another. Isn't, farmers, isn't farmers gardening old in the first place? It's, it's, it's miniature farming. All right. There you go. Yeah, I mean, hunter gatherers, you have, you know, the agricultural, not necessarily industry that we have right now since World War II is over in the 1950s, synthetic this, synthetic that. Get your tomatoes and peppers and everything from the grocery store. You don't have to worry about it. Well, after COVID, 2020, or was it 2019? Whatever. Why not say COVID anymore? I'm so tired of COVID. Well, the reason I'm saying this is because grocery stores were running out of things. And I know people were hoarding things like toilet paper and other essentials. But when it came down to food, people did not know how to plant. And you've experienced it yourself at your wife's uh, store. When they'd come in and think, you got to help me. What do I do? Well, you don't refer to what's not being taught right now. People don't know how to grow food anymore. Old-time farming. For instance, we brought on Anita to do what, Scott? To reintroduce us to the ways the old-timers have always either farmed or gardened. Gardening is basically miniature farming. That's all. So we're looking forward to some tips and tricks? Tips, tricks, and turnaround. Believe it or not, you're going to find out a lot of neat things from this lady. She's a regional manager for, uh, what, what, what is it? Coast Maine. of Maine, yeah. And, I mean, she's really high up there, but she likes to get her fingers dirty in the dirt, in the soil. I think this is going to be a well-educated format that we're going to be, you know, helping everybody else listen to. Old-time gardening. Hey, we'd like to thank Black Diamond Garden Centers for sponsoring your Midwest Garden we record this podcast on site at the Toledo location amidst all the smells of budding flowers, the manures, the chicken schmutz, you name it. If you're in the Toledo or Perrysburg, Ohio area, please stop by either Black Diamond location for all your gardening needs. And remember, ask someone who knows. My introducing Anita DeFonte from Costa Maine, regional manager of organic products. And Anita is unique, basically, in what she does and how she does it. She grows vegetables it's been not necessarily an addiction. It's been something that she's grown up with and grown with. And that's not a play on words. I'd like to introduce you, Anita DeFonte from Coast Maine Products and, uh, of Coast Maine. Now, Anita, say hello, please. Hello. Welcome to your Midwest Garden Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, yeah, well, we are too. Well, the reason Scott asked you on board was because, yes, you are a regional manager from Coast Maine Products, which basically... Uh, markets and develops a, a product that our, well, his garden center, his family's garden center, uh, sells like candy in the middle of, you know, Christmas. It's, it's uh, bumper crop products. Would you like to kind of elaborate a little bit as to what Costa Maine does and, uh, with the bumper crop products and how they distribute them? Yep. Costa Maine, um, we started as a place for the fishing industry to recycle all its waste. So we create this awesome soil using lobster shells and mussel shells and crab shells. And we distribute it. We started out in New England. And of course, once people use it, they can't believe the results they get. So the demand was super great. And um, then we added the Mid-Atlantic and the Midwest. And as they say, the rest is history. So bumper crop is our was our first blended soil. And what that means is a lot of people um, read all these books about square foot gardening or Mel's mix, where they say you should mix five different types of compost. We do that for them. So the average gardener can just open a bag and plant right in it. It has different yeah. kinds of compost and kelp meal and mycorrhiza. It's, 
worm casting. It's the best. Well, for prepping, basically, Scott, and uh, I, got, I, I like the analogy that Scott brought, something about icing on the cake. Scott, can you elaborate or bring that to the people's attention, actually, what you were discussing and trying to bring to my attention? Yeah, yeah. When, uh, when people come into the store and they're looking for all the stuff for their new, you know, COVID garden, they're not, you know, last year they had a record number of people building raised beds and stuff, and everybody's just getting into it. Seeds flew off the wall. People were like, well, what do I do for topsoil and soils? And how do I, and I was like, okay, well, here's what I suggest. Throw, like, say two-thirds of topsoil down. That's your cake. And then get this bumper crop has all these goodies and all these yummy things in it. And you put that as your top third. And then as the weather and as you water, all those goodies are going to percolate down to the bottom and help your plants. And I call that your icing. So you got your cake and your icing. And you can eat it too. Yep. And that's <laughs> yeah, true. That, that's absolutely true. And it's... It works every time it rains or you water. I also suggest that when you plant a tomato, you make your hole and you know you bury a tomato, like you could put a half or even two thirds of the plant below the surface. And then I suggest you backfill with more bumper crop. And then you okay. create a little water well around the tomato plant. So you're watering directly at the roots because long season crops like tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, things that are going to be in the ground for four or five months need to really develop a strong root system. And the mycorrhiza in the bumper crop will help that. And, you know, if you water them at the base and you give them a lot of water, you're training their roots to grow deep. That is bumper crop, Anita. And you're here for more than Coast of Maine information. You have been a gardener for how long? You want to talk to us about that? Yep. Um, 30 years. And, and really, I came to gardening through my love of food. I love to cook. And back then, you couldn't just go to a garden center like Black Diamond and buy really cool varieties of tomatoes. So I had to grow from seed. So I learned a lot about starting all kinds of... I used to grow 50 or 60 different varieties of tomatoes. Wow. Just to be different. Um, <laughs> and I learned a lot about tomatoes. Like my tip is no more than one or two cherry tomatoes because every cherry tomato plant gives you thousands of little tomatoes. And that's more than enough for a family or a whole neighborhood. Um, and then I grow a lot of heirloom tomatoes because they're beautiful, but they're not heavy producers. So I also mix in a couple of standard hybrid tomatoes. So you're always going to get that really juicy red tomato for that BLT. So I, I love to, uh, to cook. So today's show is not so much about Coast of Maine, although we'll throw it in there, here and there, I'm sure, which is great. But this is more about Anita as a gardener. She has some unique ways, unique things, some suggestions, and she's going to talk today about some of the basics and that she's got some trips, tricks for that uh, you all may find interesting. Go ahead, Mike, you were going to say. Well, that's what I was going to, I was just going to extend. I mean, I did a little bit of reading about her background and you came from uh, uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, correct? You came from a family that, that uh, well, the reason you like to cook, it's in your blood. I think that uh, does, doesn't your family background have something to do with uh, baking or uh, food in general? 
Yeah, my dad, uh, my family owned a bakery and I worked with my dad um, all through junior high, high school, college. I would come home on the weekends and holidays. I only went to college like 40 minutes away. Um, we made a lot of different, we were French bakery, so we made French pastries and a lot of hors d'oeuvres. So that's where my love for food developed. And then when I wanted to buy a, a piece of land, you know, Greenwich is lovely, but little cost prohibitive for a, yeah. a young person starting out. So I started looking, found this beautiful, almost four acre property in Newtown, Connecticut. First thing I did was we took down trees because you can't have a vegetable garden if you don't have a lot of sun. So we created a 40 by 60 raised bed vegetable garden. And at that time I was working for um, a gardening magazine. I worked for Fine Gardening, which is in the same town. That's the reason I moved here. Um, so we had access to all these pallets because the magazine came on pallets. So we took them apart and made a fence. And we wanted the garden to be beautiful. So we grew a lot of flowers and really created a paradise and cooked awesome meals from the garden. And I learned a lot about growing food. Well, you, you also stated that, that you couldn't find certain types of unique uh, varieties of plants. Like you just made mention of a few on the tomato end. Uh, what, what drew you to the uniqueness of any of these plants, first of all? Well, even just something as simple as kale. There's so many cool varieties, and a lot of people don't realize the difference. Like if you get the Lacinata kale, which the common name is like dragon tongue, it turns even people who don't like kale into kale lovers because okay. it's just so different than the generic kale. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, well, you've got a listing. I mean, we pulled something up, both Scott and I did, and I didn't mean to interrupt you on that. No, no, that's fine. But even with your uniqueness on planting the tomato, I mean, could you correct me? I mean, not correct me, but am I right in saying that people are generally wrong on how they plant their tomatoes? They plant them in the ground level that they find their containers. Aren't they supposed to pinch a few sucker leaves off, drop and blow a little bit deeper than normal? Absolutely. And that's, the, the, the one takeaway, if somebody plants a tomato properly, will make me so happy. Um, you don't even have to take the suckers off because it doesn't matter, but you should plant at least. You'll have, you go to the garden center, you'll buy a tomato plant, it'll be like six or eight inches. Or if you grew it yourself inside, it's probably around the same size. I put half of that below the surface of the ground. Really? I make a hole, I put some bumper crop in there, put that tomato in. And all of that below the surface turns to roots. So you think about that tomato plant is going to get to be six feet tall. And if it has that really strong root system, it's going to survive, you know, 10 days with no rain in August. If a, a windstorm comes in, it's going, to, it's going to hold its own. Of course, you have to cage it. A lot of people um, think they can just plant a tomato. Tomatoes want to be staked. I like tomato cages. I make my own, but you can buy really nice ones at retail. Tomatoes. What do you make out of? I make mine out of um, concrete rebar. You know the stuff they sell when you're. Oh my God! Yeah, you can support anything with that. Exactly, and they last forever if you take care of them. That's another one of my pet peeves: is you buy the best you can and you take care of it, so you're not adding to the landfill. You know, spend the money on good pruners and. 
good trowels and good shovels and, um, you know, just take care of them every winter, clean them, put them are away. You, are, yeah. Are you putting those uh, rebarbs in at the same time so you don't hurt Co- roots? Correct. Doing I, it later? Always, I always stake when I plant. I use the rebar cages for the tomatoes and the peppers I just use wooden stakes, just two inches by two inches. Um, you can buy them anywhere, and I put those in the ground, and then I tie the peppers, and then I grow a lot of eggplants. Um, I've turned non-eggplant eaters into eggplant lovers. A, eggplants are beautiful. Well, you know what? I, 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 see, I don't know why people... It has to do with the name. I won't eat squash, eggplant, or zucchini strictly because of the name. Eggplant sounds like it comes out of a chicken. Zucchini sounds like it's a loogie, and squash sounds like roadkill. But I can, you know, see some of the things that you're ta- that you're making into something that's more palatable. Yeah. I mean, I, if you were to tell me that I that I I was eating eggplant, I would probably be um, just beside myself. Yep. So I I think what you're doing right now is you're introducing people to the not necessarily just the fun, but eliminating the frustration of gardening. Yeah, and if you keep, I I'm always looking for ways to simplify. And I'm from the school of eliminating work. So if you use a top third, like Scott mentioned, of bumper crop, there's no weed seed. So when you plant in that, you don't have to worry. So you've taken that stress away. I also, you know, when people are building a garden bed, it's really important that you don't build it any wider than your arm can reach into the center because you will eventually have to weed so you don't want to be able, you know, if you can't reach in there, you're going to not be able to get those weeds and it's, you know, not going to be good. No, that's a great tip. That's a great tip. Yeah. That's what I was going to, for the avid gardener, what is, let's say your standard garden size, let's say one person such as yourself, when you first got the property, you made mention of the dimensions of what you've done, but I mean, did it become overbearing or did you learn something that, you know, different sizes? You're on five acres right now, but not all of it's gardening. Right. Don't don't go too big. I if you're going to do raised beds, you know, if you're starting out and you can start from scratch four raised beds, eight feet by by three feet is the ideal size. Three feet gives you plenty of you know, you can reach into the center. Eight feet gives you plenty of width. And with four beds, you can practice crop rotation. And that means you can't plant the same thing in the same place year after year, because every plant takes different nutrients from the soil. And the thing that's the hardest for me, because I grow a lot of peppers, eggplants, and tomatoes, they travel as a group because they're all in the nightshade family. So you can't put a pepper where you had a tomato or an eggplant where you had a pepper. So you have to really think about your placement. And I also can't stress, you have to photograph and jot down in a notebook because you think you're going to remember year to year, but you don't. <laughs> you don't. Okay. Don't. And uh, I, I crop rotate. I like to put, um, to me, beans. Everybody loves beans. There's bush beans. There's pole beans. Those go where the tomatoes were because they put nitrogen back in the soil. So you're... You're getting the benefit of putting, you know, really good Ah. stuff and you're getting this awesome thing that you can eat and beans grow really fast. And another trick I've learned when you're planting a bed of beans, plant three rows, wait two weeks, 
plant the next three rows. If you plant them all the same day, all those beans ripen at the same time and it's too much. So if you space them, you have them coming through the whole summer. Do you hear that, Scott? Yeah, and, and I probably suggest doing the first set on the inner side and then the last set closer to the edge. Just make it easier on you. But I just want to mention while we're on ergonomics, and this is a rookie question, basically, these garden beds, if you're going to you know, make it easy on the reach, what about the bending over? Is I mean, do all beds, maybe even more so uh, based on vegetables, have to be ground-based, or can you lift those three feet up? Is there a danger from the cold air uh, that might happen at night? You know, almost like ice on a bridge. No. Can, can, no? no? I can get I away mean, with they, doing it. They, a... they make raised beds that are elevated, that are, you know, for people who don't want to bend. But, but they, are, they are good, and there's not, that's not just a marketing gimmick. That is okay to plant sure. vegetables in, and you'll be successful. Yes. Okay. Yes. As long as you're using good soil, and the, I always say plants want to live. The plants that don't make it are the ones we overlove, and how we overlove is by overwatering. That is the, the biggest mistake a lot oh, of novice gardeners make. Oh, I'm glad make. you said that. Yeah. I mean... People think that water is going to save a plant. I mean, when it's wilted, you got to no, give it a drink. No. When it's discoloring, you give it a drink. What a, well, all right. Now, you've been playing with peppers. You've been playing with tomatoes for a long period of time. Uh, two things. One, I'll get into, after I ask you this first question, uh, uh, best time of the year. When do you plant? Uh, when do you assure? Or we just had a killing, well, I want to say five inches of snow, 29 degrees out here and. Uh, Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan. Uh, and I've been following basically a Bible plus an old gentleman from Poland uh, who told us that, you know, the, the, the best time to plant any kind of a garden in the upper Midwest, I don't know if it is the same with you, is to wait until after the full moon in May. Is that true? Well, yeah, that works. But my, it's fail safe is and this works and you people always say i'm going to get my tomatoes in early and i'm going to have the first tomato and i've done trials on this where i've put it in and i've protected it with those water walls or coverings when the yeah. nighttime temperatures are consistently in the 50s which in my part of the world in connecticut is mid to late may anything can go outside anything will grow and that tomato that you put in the ground then will catch up and surpass the one that you put in two weeks earlier. So you watch the weather report and you see what they're saying, predicted weather temperatures at nighttime are going to be in, you say mid fifties or higher, correct? In the fifties, any, anything in the fifties, you're okay to plant from seed. You're okay to plant, you know, plants that you had in the house. Another thing a lot of people make the mistake is if you buy a tomato in a greenhouse, or a pepper or an eggplant or even lettuce, you have to take them gradually into the sun. If you Ooh. take them out of a protected area where they've been with diluted light and you put them in full sun, you're gonna burn them. So I like to give them gradual, put them out, bring them back in, put them out, bring them back in, and then like day three, I plant them. Do you hear that, Scott? Yeah, I heard that. Okay. so. So the reason I'm, 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 I'm not being smug. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, I'm being totally smug. 
I yes, like listening is. to the to the old timers, basically telling me the same thing that you did, Anita. Yep. yep. I mean, it's it's they obviously been growing well before satellites were put into the you know into the ozone or beyond that into space, so that they can look down and tell us when you know the weather's going to be. They followed certain things. Do you follow things like uh, I don't know the woolly caterpillar or you know the way that your tomatoes uh, uh, basically certain times of the season for like powdery mildew aphids things of that nature and how do you treat that yeah and and the other i like to avoid that so another trick that avoids powdery mildew is you water in the morning you don't like to go to bed with wet hair neither do your plants whoa good enough did you catch that (laughs) wow water in the morning so the plant can take that water in and be completely dry by the time the sun sets And believe it or not, after June 21st, the days do get shorter. So you have to factor that in. So you, you know, maybe today, um, end of May, you're watering at 11 o'clock in the morning. You got to dial that back a little bit. Earlier is better. The earlier you can water, the better. A lot of people think they come home from work or, you know, in the afternoon they can get out there and water. But there's not enough time for the plant to, A, bring that water in and to dry off. Well, it's called photosynthesis for Correct. a reason, light processing. Yep. Um, do you do you water from the bottom, or is it always. okay to spray at the top? Always. Okay, it, always at the bottom. Always at the bottom. Relay that information, and in fact, elaborate for us, please. If you can avoid getting the leaves wet, that's the best, because that, you know, will help. Insects are looking for water as well, so if they're flying by and there's a nice, you know, pool of water on that leaf... They're going to make stop by for a drink and say, oh, this is not not a bad place to hang out for a while. So I try to avoid that. Also, the mildew tends to set in with dampness. I try to avoid that. Tomatoes, a lot of people, um, you know, when you plant, when you water overhead, it just, they get the brown crinkly leaves. Also, I like to avoid the splashback. Tomatoes and peppers. I have an organic lawn. So I will save my grass clippings and I will use those as mulch on my vegetable beds because I don't like to use traditional mulches. They take nitrogen from the soil. Well, yeah, we've got to place emphasis. If somebody's got a lawn service, do not use your lawn clippings. If you fertilize or use uh, weed killer, do not put any. We've had people that have been losing their gardens because of the weed killer that's been sprayed under their lawn and they do that. She placed emphasis that she is an organic farmer, organic gardener, organic all the way around. Um, so it's it's more of a natural process that she's helping along rather than using systemic or, uh, you know, let's just say synthetic products. Right. Um, okay, since you don't use any, really any synthetic products, do you use cultural methods of control or organic methods of control for insects? I use... Um... Yeah, sometimes I use, I do try to attract um, pollinators into my garden and beneficial insects. I plant a lot of um, herbs and flowers that are going to attract, and I always have to give my pitch to always plant things for the bees. Um, Arugula. Does it matter? Does it matter what kind of bee? I mean, because. Um, the honeybees, there's also bumblebees, there's also anything that likes to go and pollinate and cross-pollinate, but people tend to freak out about that. I mean, they see a bee, they go, oh, they got to run or else they're going to be scared, you know, they're going to be stung. 
But if you want to have a garden, especially squash, you can't have it without bees. I mean, Thank you. The flowers have Thank to you. be pollinated. <laughs> um, th now, uh, there, there are now new ways that, that the uh, greenhouse growers are starting to use for, well, let's say the aphid. They're using what they call um, beneficial insects. Um, like, well, they, uh, there's, a, there's a mite that's out there that basically attacks. There's ladybugs that are out there. You believe it or not, the ladybug and the larvae are basically the best and the most voracious eaters of aphids that you could possibly come upon. Um, the, the praying mantis, for instance. But when you use pesticides, it's, it's going to not only kill them, but it's going to prevent the pollinators from coming in. Um, do you find that you have a really, really... Hot, well, like, no, I know you have a really, really healthy garden. How long did it take you to get that garden to become very as healthy as you... I mean, because you're becoming part of it. Oh, How yeah. How long did it, it take takes, you to do that? You, it, takes, it, takes, it takes time. You have to be patient. And the cool thing about a, a vegetable garden is you, you change it. It changes every single year. Um, so if you don't like the way something looks this year, you can move it the following year. It's, it's awesome to grow and bring everything to life inside of your garden, all the bees. I actually had a deer problem. I don't know if you guys have a wildlife problem where you are. Oh, yep. yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. And how I deterred the deer from my vegetable garden, I planted Minarda, which is bee bomb. Any, yeah. Anything with a square stem is how I tell people it. Anything in the salvia family or the Minarda, if it has a square stem, the deer don't eat it. It's all in the mint family, actually. Um, well, now that's interesting. I mean, um, that too is a cultural method of controlling a, a predator, which is actually the deer. Um, do you find that, let's say, if uh, there's a friend of mine who's an urban farmer who has been trying to get a variety of Mexican marigolds um, to technically ward off certain types of insects. Uh, do you use plants to do that as well? I, I use marigolds all the time, and the Mexican marigolds are beautiful. And I use calendula also, and that's edible. And I use nasturtiums, and those are also edible. And they're all kind of in the orangey-yellow hue, so they look really pretty against the green foliage of the yeah. tomato plants. I put them in every bed in the corners. I plant um, a lot of thyme and rosemary because if I have bunnies cruising by, they smell that and they're not interested, so they tend to stay away from my lettuce. I give really them the, the, the 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 no that was thyme that basically repels them. Yeah, I use thyme. It's a deterrent. They don't like the taste of it. And and the cool I'm thing sorry. about thyme and oregano is they're um, perennials. Just be careful where you place them because. They grow rhizomatously, which means they spread through their roots. Rhizomaceously, you're right. Yes. Yeah. You, you said, how did you pronounce that? Rhizom rhizomatous, right. R rhizomative, I'll be darned. I learned something new. That it could be, I, I just, you know, a rhizome is a root. Uh, um, yeah. Rhizomes and tillers. Yeah, tillers are basically from the top growth. The rhizome is from the root, and they can become invasive. So kind of like you said, the mint family. The mint. That's um, why my border of Minarda, you start out with 10 plants and then the next year you're yeah. 20 and 30 and they're pretty and they attract bees and the deer don't like them. And I used them as the walling on my back behind my fence on my backside of my garden. It, it worked. Do you, do you have problems with woodchuck? Woodchucks are my nemesis. 
I had to give oh. up. I actually had to alter what I grew. I do not grow anything in the brassica family, which is broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower. I can't even grow radicchio. I ate a woodchuck. He was, he was just amazing. He was a connoisseur. He came in and ate an entire radicchio bed, but he only, he spread the outer leaves and he plucked the centers out. It's like he knew what he was doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. These guys have brains, though. Uh, they're, they're, they do know what they're doing. They do. This Thomas Jackson, this urban farmer, he puts, he's got like eight different types of greens that he grows. And I mean, this woodchuck, it, actually there's about two or three of them. They'll come in and they'll start to go ahead and attack. And it's not attacking, they just go for the center, the tender stuff. Yep. And which is so frustrating because you know, you can harvest the leaf of the plant, but the outermost portion of those is gonna be the oldest and it's gonna be the the, the the less tasty, I guess. Hey. So th <laughs> they know what they're going after. They're smart. And you gave them uh, that buffet to choose from. So, you know. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yep. So I. But I, you're only blaming yourself? Yep. So I gave up growing those because if they don't, they don't really love a lot of the greens I grow. I like to grow kale and spinach. Um, I grow a lot of lettuces. Lettuces tend to peter out in the heat. So I grow yeah. them early in the season, um, and then I grow them again in the fall. I plant them like early September for a fall harvest. And then I What use... about cucumbers? What about cucumbers? So cucumbers are tricky. Um, I do grow yeah. them. Cucumbers, the trick I've learned with them is um, I cover them with that floating row cover, the white, the flimsy, uh, it's like a remake fabric. Oh, yeah. Because the cucumber, what we, what we were promoting is a frost protector, right? But I cover yeah. my cucumbers because the cucumber beetles, and this is where a journal and you keep track. I kind of know, being in you know farming, not farmer, but knowing what I've I've been doing it for so long. When the cucumber beetles are coming, this like early July, there's still plenty of time for those cucumbers to get pollinated and to produce right. fruit, but the plants are getting stronger behind that netting and I'm avoiding the, the cucumber beetles. What was that material again? It's like a floating row cover. They, you sell it in garden centers for frost protection. It's that white, white, very porous, very open. Um, it's a, comes in a roll or it's, it's folded. We don't, Black Diamond doesn't sell it in the roll anymore, but it's sometimes 50 feet long and maybe eight feet wide and you stake it, and it basically allows the sunlight, air, and moisture to get in, and allows the, uh, let's say, the CO2, the CO2 to come in, but, and allows the oxygen to come out too, so the plant's able to breathe, but it doesn't allow certain types of insects to come in. Correct. Like she said, the cucumber beetle. So that's, that's how I grow healthy cucumbers. But cucumbers, you know, again, they wanna be staked, so if you trellis them, they tend to do well. I love, I experimented yeah. last year with snow peas in a container and it worked out really well. For people really? who don't have a big garden and want to just have, you know, who doesn't want to have a snow pea now at this time of year? Um, well, aren't those cool weather? They are, they are. I have mine yeah. planted, they're already about 18 inches tall. Already, okay, already. now how many times a year do you plant those? Do you do it twice or just once? I just do the snow peas once because I like green beans and I, plant green beans in their place in the summer. Okay, heirloom versus uh, hybrids. Now on uh, vegetables, are you a proponent more so for heirloom versus the hybrid or are you somewhat 
you know, diversified into your, your taste. Like you said, uh, when one variety of a tomato, for instance, a big boy or super steak is great on a piece of rye bread with mayonnaise and a beer. There's no beating it. Salt and pepper, uh-uh. But that's, that's, an, that's a hybrid. I like to mix it up. I grow for taste, um, heirloom uh -huh. hybrid. I mean, and, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, I have to have organic seeds. To me, it's, a, it's organic because of the way you're growing it. I mean, yes, That's maybe. right. You're practicing organic. You're growing the seed, and it doesn't really have to start out as life as a, an organic seed. The way you treat it, once you put it in the ground, then it's organic. So in, it's, it's the nutrients that you're putting into the soil because the plant basically makes its own food, which is organic. It's the organic. It's not the synthetics. Like, I, I don't want to name any competitive name brands, but it's, it's the fertilizers. People think that you're feeding the plants. You're not feeding them. They make their own food. They take those nutrients from the root base and work their way up into the plant, photosynthesize it, and it produces all the proper sugars and nutrients they need to produce the fruit, the final product that you're going after. Um, the, the, are you into corn? I don't do corn because that attracts raccoons. I'm always looking for, you know, I, I try to avoid crops that attract wildlife. Okay. Uh, because you, you really hit me up. We noticed that there's certain things like you, you well, on your, on a, uh, we were doing our research and we found that you liked infusing. Um, when do you do that and how do you do that and why do you do that? What, what do I like? I'm sorry. I missed Infusing that. like the vodka. Oh was, yeah. Was... The, oh God, I do. T I love that. Um, oh yeah. Please you know, help us with that. <laughs> um, you know, it's very trendy. Now you go to a, a, a cocktail and all these cool cocktails that are out there. I like to take, I even made a um, basil infusion. Habaneros are my favorite. I love yes. habaneros. See, now, you and Scott, so you, you struck a nerve on him. Habaneros, to me, are the fruity, the, I call it a fruity heat. And people are like, what does fruity heat mean? Well, it's a heat that doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's hot, but it's tasty. It's really good. Right. It doesn't take the taste away. Right. But and the spice is there. My, yes. I always have a jar of habanero simple syrup in my refrigerator, and that's so easy to make. I grow habaneros. I love them. The, the fruit is orange. It's a compact plant. It's so easy to grow in a container. I have, like, you only need one. One habanero plant in a container is going to give you probably 30 or 40 habanero peppers. So I cut them in half. I take their seeds out, always wearing gloves. I cook them <laughs> with sugar and water. I, you know, bring them to a simmer. Then I strain that syrup and I add it to everything. Tequila, vodka. I, when I have peaches, fresh peaches, I put um, no. peaches in that and I make peach habanero margaritas. Oh, so good. Uh, uh uh, okay, Scott, you, uh, take yeah, the lead. This, this is my cue because I am a tequila nut yeah. and, and margarita nut. And yes, uh, jalapeno margaritas are like a, a basic margarita to me. Yeah. Anybody come in the, It's like when a guest comes over, I got to dummy down the recipe for those type of people that 
Just well, one I'm margarita. one of those type of people on milk toast. Leave it alone. <laughs> I make. I, I, you know, I make. My, my house margarita is, you know, the jalapeno. Yeah, I, one of I make people. jalapeno simple syrup. I made candied jalapenos one year for friends, and you know that was a big hit. I dipped them into hot sugar, and you know gave them a candy crust. They were good. Pep nice. hot, hot peppers are my. I'm convinced that I stay healthy because I eat so many hot peppers. They're nature's way of keeping your body from getting any kind of, you know, infection. Well, okay, there may be something legit to that because there are cultural methods that people are using. What did they do before the end of World War II? When it came down, they had victory gardens and grandma and grandpa were growing their own vegetables and herbs and they would make their own tinctures. One of which was, you know, like you stated, you believe that the habanero or the, the pepper itself does ward off certain things. Is it the capsaicin production in that plant that po does it? Or possibly, yeah, because it works as an insect control. You know, if you have... You well, know, that's what I was... Yes. Yeah, you can make your own hot pepper spray if you... I've done that. Okay. Okay. You got me on a, on, on a roll right now because Scott and both you and Scott like things spicy. I am milk toast. I'm one of these guys that when he said you, other people, those people, I, I, I don't know. It might be my Irish upbringing. I have no idea. But basically, it's got to be bland in order for it to go into my mouth. I mean, sure, there's going to be other things that are added to it. But when it comes down to hot, I don't think that's something very pleasant. Now, Scott made mention and you both made mention. It adds to increasing or enhancing the flavor of whatever it is that you're eating or drinking. Um, to infuse again, I noticed that there's one of these gin things that you make with your cucumber. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure, you can make a cucumber, um, it's same kind of concept. You can muddle cucumber with some rosemary or even a little lavender and add some gin and put on, put some ice and shake it up and strain it and it's delicious. Oh, you don't let it set for, you know, weeks on end. And cucumber, let it you don't have to. Cucumber releases its flavor instantly. Oh, rosemary, rosemary makes a nice infusion for those people who want a little flavor without any heat. Uh, rosemary's an herb, and the same thing. The way I do the habaneros is I infuse the rosemary in the sugar water, and I let it sit, and then I strain it, and I... I keep that always in my refrigerator as well because rosemary gives it a little and it pairs really well with gin. We did um, rosemary at Christmas time, holiday parties in uh, margaritas along with like a cranberry juice and the rosemary was awesome. That would be very pretty too, red and green. Oh, it, it is. I, I will put that picture on the Facebook account. There you Everybody go. That's, that's perfect. Food is, you can just experiment and be creative. And I make this salmon dish that's super simple. And I, I always say, don't you can mix savory and sweet. I take um, like a smoked salmon or leftover cooked salmon. I mix it with roasted red peppers, freshly sliced pears, chopped almonds, and some thyme. And then I mix that all together with some pasta and I make a salmon salad and it's now that actually sounds good i told you i was milk toast but when you said the pear yeah um now is that coming from the tree uh, the trees from your your orchard 
I mean, I grow don't grow fruit. I don't have the prop. Fruit takes a lot more land. Okay. Okay, and it takes a lot more patience too. And and I can get it locally. We have a. I live in an area where we have a peach farm. We have a couple apple farms. So. And they grow it organically. Yes, my peach farm oh, and my apple farm. So I'm very lucky. How long lucky. have they been doing that? How long have they been doing? How long? How long has organic growing been in your region of the United States? Believe it or not, that's been around a lot longer than synthetic chemicals have been around. Old farmers. <laughs> Chemicals are expensive, so you I, try yeah, not to use there. them. I mean, farmers take care of the land, and you know, if you, I always say, you feed the soil, and the soil feeds the plant. Ooh, that's heavy. Give the soil the best you can. You know, if you want it, bumper crop is awesome. If you have access to like llama manure, uh, you know, any of the composted, make your own compost. The only thing I don't recommend is horse manure because horses don't process their food, so you're introducing a lot of weed seeds. But Yeah, they only have one stomach. Exactly. Cows have what? Llamas 16 have of them, five right? or six. <laughs> okay, and, llamas and, do? Yeah, it's, they process, there's no weed seeds. And making your own compost, it's not that difficult. It's just green and brown, leaves and grass, leaves and grass, leaves and grass and water and heat, and then you, you know, keep turning it and use that in your bed and then put the bumper crop on top because the home gardener can't get their compost hot enough to kill off the weed seeds, but it's still gonna put nutrients in the soil. And the way organics works too is the plant brings in what it needs when it needs it. So right. by feeding the soil, you're giving your plant a buffet of nutrients that are gonna help it grow big and strong. What about micronutrients? Um, you made comment about uh, like there's there's certain nutrients that, that the plants aren't bringing in that they're lacking. Um, how do you compensate for that organically? Well, bumper crop has a lot of those micronutrients in it because they have it has kelp meal. Kelp is like the it it has everything. If you anything, I love kelp. We put kelp into all of our soils. And we also have just straight kelp meal, which I use a lot. So there are a lot of really good organic fertilizers. The other thing I like to do in say like July and August is I make, um, there's a lot of good liquid fish fertilizers on the market and I make a foliar spray with a liquid fish fertilizer. And that works two ways. It feeds the plant through its leaves and it also deters insects. Really? Yeah. Oh. So uh, if, if they've got fish emulsion at, well, Scott's Family uh, Garden Center, Black Diamond, they've got fish emulsion there. It comes from supposedly Alaska. Nobody knows. But you can foliar spray onto that? Correct. And it will repel the insects? Yeah, it works great. I use it on my oh roses. My I use it full strength on my roses to keep, you know, the, the bugs away. Yeah? You got Japanese beetle problems out there? Um, I know when they're coming again. I, I, I'm one of these crazy gardeners that goes out in the morning with my bucket and my ball jar with a little bit of soapy water in it and I collect the beetles and I collect the um, eggplant larvae. That eggplant, um, if you look on the underside of the leaves, you can see it. And you know when it comes because you're keeping track in your journal. Again, usually end of June, beginning of July. 
and they're yellow, so they're super easy to, to notice. And you Do you have, have a problem with squash borer? I, I don't as much as I, again, that comes with not rotating. Yeah, you, okay. You have to okay. keep your, and squash, a lot of people make the mistake of planting way too much. You only need two squash plants. You really don't need more than that. Because of the flower and how many squash that that's going to produce. Correct. Because it needs a lot of land in order for it to produce, doesn't right. it? Right. So if you have a couple of plants, that's enough. People get overexcited and they plant more than they need. And I'm always trying to help them be successful. Because if you're successful, you're going to continue to do it. And the more people that connect to how their food comes to the table, I think the better for everybody. Snap peas, for instance, sugar snaps, any of the peas, any of the beans, do you eat them right off the vine? I do. That's the best. Uh, it's, the, it's the reason to grow them, to walk around and pop them in your mouth or eat a cherry tomato. or It's just, that's, that's why you do this. You do I it agree. for that joy. And like I said earlier, I started experimenting with snap peas in a container and I used my tomato cage and I put, you know, six plants in a, in a big um, container and I grew my- well, How big is the container? I mean, they need a little bit more room than a five gallon bucket. Oh no, yeah, this was big. It's like 15 gallons. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's big. And I got, um, I got enough to snack while I was sitting on the patio. Snapping them and chewing on them and, you know, oh my gosh, did like grandma used to do. Yep. And, and a lot of stuff Graham's did wasn't, you know, old fashioned. It was just fun. And there was a reason, that was, it was part of family also. I mean, it re revives any type of memories of doing things. I mean, my grandfather taught me, you know how we controlled tomato hornworm? He showed me, took me out. These plants are taller than I am. I'm four foot nothing, you know, when, he, <laughs> when I'm first being introduced to his garden. He's six foot, and he goes, oh, looky, Mikey, what is that? And I go, oh, cool, it's a bug. He goes, yeah, it's, it's a tomato hornworm. And he goes, these are bad for the tomatoes. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because they eat the leaves. They don't, you know, they, it'll, it'll kill the plant. And I said, oh, well, what do we do? And he goes, here, and he's holding it right in front of my face, and you know what he does? He squeezes it. Yep. And it popped. <laughs> and he goes, so we're looking all over. This is cool. We're going all over the place. That's how he got us going, my brothers and I to run around looking for these guys and we'd be out there pinching and popping them. But you tell that to anybody out in the average, you know, ooh, that's so disgusting. Well, it might be disgusting, but it's it's mother nature. And it's part of being a gardener. You have to that's understand right. that. You have to get your hands dirty. And it's good, clean dirt. And it's I mean, fun, I... and it's fun, and you're getting to reap the benefits and make people happy. Food makes people happy. and. Something you grew with love, I mean, it, it, it doesn't get any better than that. We used to look forward to the, I mean, younger, about five, six, we didn't like the tomatoes. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, it was an acquired taste and we looked forward so much to that. Yes, we did grow corn. Um, we did grow peppers. We did grow a number of other things. Some of the things mother loved, you know, it was, you know, zucchini. Again, we're talking about the ugly names, um, but... <laughs> When it came down to, let's say, corn or tomatoes or peppers, that sort of stuff, the bell peppers, not the hot ones, there was nothing better. We looked forward, so forward to that. No, peppers are awesome. They're just, um, they need a lot of sun and heat. They're a really long season crop. And I, I'm, 
My window is a little shorter. I think yours is too for peppers. I always have to start those early. I start them inside, so when I do bring them out at the end of May, they're a pretty good sized plant. And I, they're already about, yeah, about two and a half feet tall. And I green peppers to me are an immature pepper. All peppers should be red, yellow, or orange. Now, yes, share that. How does that happen? They Because there's a lot of, thank you. They change, it, I mean, the, that's ripe, a ripe pepper. That's why people who eat a green pepper, they kind of get a stomach ache sometimes. It's because you're eating an immature, not ripe pepper. The only pepper that should be green is a poblano pepper. Oh, and, a, and a, of course, a jalapeno. And well, they, will, they yeah. will turn red if you leave them long enough. But a bell pepper should turn red or yellow or orange. But red is the In order for it to be ripe. Yes, I've seen them all. And the longer you keep the pepper on there, the better it is for it to turn, or likelihood of it to turn that color. Correct. In the maturity, what do you think, Scott? You learning? I, yeah, thanks for inviting me onto the show, Mike. Oh, you're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Mike, Mike is also recording remotely, so I don't have a chance to hit him in the arm and say, let me speak or mute his mic. Oh, yeah, he's moment. not in front of me. He's going, shut up, O'Rourke. <laughs> so the, the nice thing about that is maturity is, and here comes my tequila, is just like all the, most of the bottles that say, you know, gold, gold margarita or gold tequila, that's a, and people think that's great stuff. It's a marketing ploy. It is immature agave that were accidentally harvested, and the only way to get rid of them are to make it sell like something great. And then those immature ones are the ones that give you the really bad hangovers. A good tequila will not give you a hangover. Well, I'll be darned. Now, see, that's when you do your research. Scott's been, now, Scott is an avant, he's, he's somebody, he, I don't know, he's not a wine sommelier, but this tequila thing he knows really, really well. Um, and me being sandwiched between him and you, Anita, makes me feel like I don't know what in the world, but I'm learning. I am really learning. Uh, I want to thank you for everything that you've done so far as far as bringing this to our attention. Scott, do we have anything that, that I skipped? I just want to ask Anita, uh, before we wrap up, if there's uh, two things, and I'll, I'll give them to you one, two. If there's anything you would like to touch on that we have not touched on, but my biggest question, and being the newbie, especially at the Garden Center, everybody comes in with tomato and rot questions. Is, do you have a trick to help with that problem? Bumper crop. It's a calcium. <laughs> no, seriously, it's a calcium deficiency. And because bumper crop has the crab and lobster meal in it, it, that's calcium. Uh, the shell of the lobster has chitin in it and chitin in the soil turns into calcium. So blossom end rot is 100% a calcium deficiency. You know how and old they farm- didn't rotate their tomatoes. And, they didn't and, rotate their tomatoes And you have either. to rotate. But you know how old farmers used to say you plant eggshells with your tomatoes? Well, there's some truth yeah. to that. I don't like to use raw food products in my garden like that because again, it attracts wildlife. I'm surrounded by woods, so I try to avoid inviting anybody into my yard. Um, but that's why you do that. You put the eggshells in for the calcium. But bumper crop has plenty of calcium in it for your tomato. So take, take care of your end rot now by using bumper crop. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's the secret to no more blossom end rot. And don't overwater and make sure they get plenty of sunlight 
and don't plant them in the same place that you had them in last year. And people do that an awful lot. They, they just, every year, they put the same things from their garden in there. So what I've learned today is you want to start small, but you also need to teach yourself the discipline of record-taking, even photo-taking. Um, keep, you know, like you were mentioning, when certain bugs come into town on what month and da-da-da-da-da. And if you start off small, you can have enough time to actually do, I'll call it the paperwork, homework, for your garden, and then grow each year. And I just think you'll be more successful that way. I, I agree completely. I always recommend one or two cherry tomatoes, a couple of heirlooms, a couple of hybrids, but that's plenty. One or two squash plants, as you know, a zucchini and a yellow squash. Green beans, you know, spaced out. Radishes and carrots can share the same space. And radishes, you know, by the time uh, the carrots need the space, the radishes are done. But there's nothing better than sliced radishes with whipped butter on white bread. <laughs> and a beer. Has to have a beer. Um, that just combo, it, it to me, screams spring. Awesome. So we have some good news and bad news. The bad news is, is we're going to end this program. The good news is, is Anita has already mentioned coming back at the uh, in the fall time and talk about uh, meals and cocktails from the garden. <laughs> this is going to be good. I think that I have so many cool recipes I'd love to share with your listeners and things that are That'd simple awesome. to make that will transform their, you know, if they dislike something, they will they will learn to love it. Anita DeFonte from Costa Maine Organic Products. You're a regional manager, uh, but you've also brought with you in order to become the regional manager, all of these you know, outside elements that you've created into this beautiful little library of information uh, of organic growing. I wanna thank you for coming on board, lady. I certainly do appreciate it. Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much. I love educating you, and helping people become better gardeners. So thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you, and good night. Thanks for listening to Your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at Your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.